Welcome to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Proudmouth. Being your own loud is not new to marketing, but the mindset, strategies, and resources to help get you there are evolving faster than this industry is keeping up. It's time to find a new perspective on what works, why, and how to move your business forward. Listen in as Matt Halloran interviews guest experts to help you be your own loud. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast brought to you by Proudmouth. Something that's really neat in our world is we are always trying to learn new things. And many of you know our Chief Operating Officer, Lisa, and, and Lisa picked up a book from a local author in Ontario. She started sending me quotes from this book. Uh, the book is called Rethinking Your Content. Our guest today is Mohit Rajhans, and he is the author of this book and a magnificent thought leader. Not only does he work in content, but he has a wonderful background in all sorts of different media. And we're going to take some time today to learn from him and find out really what rethinking your content means. And I'm going to start off right away, Mohit, with the, the big question, which is, how did you get to this? I mean, you're like an award-winning content guy. You're an instructor at a university or a college here, a hum Humber College. You've been featured all over the place. Where, where did all of this come from? Tell me your history a little bit, please. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that, first of all, for you asking, because I think the real relevancy and knowledge sharing at this point is stop telling people about what your cell is and start telling people what your story is. And I think we'll get that'll be a big theme in what we talk about. So my story is quite simply, I'm a traditional media. Actually, let's go back one step. I was a traditional business guy who was at McMaster University, and I couldn't even get my commerce degree at the time. I failed at about, I got a BA just to make my parents happy. And I started working a normal job like anybody else and woke up one morning and realized, ah, I'm just not doing anything that I really want to do. But what I started in actually was the media business. And I literally, as Drake would say, started from the bottom. I was answering phone calls. I was figuring out how production sets work. I figured out who the uh, people were signing checks to make content work. And that was my real indication of what the world is like in creation. From there, I essentially, I make people, uh, I shorten the story from the idea that I went from beta tape to cloud. And I've seen every iteration of the industry, both on the media side and the content creation side, sort of unfold around me. I've seen the pitfalls, the mistakes, the platforms that have come and gone. I've seen the investments that people have made on, on uh, being on one platform and not diversifying their interests. And now I've come to this place where I've realized, well, wait a minute. Here we are in this world where we're actually complaining about things like privacy, and we're wondering about how these companies got so big when we've fed the beasts. And so if we've fed the beasts, we need to control a little bit on how we're actually being replicated and how we're being seen and what our digital footprint is in order for us to really benefit from the value that these, um, these platforms have created. It's fascinating to me because as you were saying that, I remember... Uh, one of the first speeches that I ever made uh, up on a, a big stage was talking about how I've been on social media so long that MySpace was where I started. People look at me like, I don't even know what that is. You know, all of the things that have come and gone are, are fascinating to me. And then iterations of the same thing keeps popping up, much like Vine to TikTok and Reels to Facebook stories and all of those things. But but I, one of the things on your book, on the back of your book, 
you specifically, Mohit, talk about a content crisis. And I think a lot of people would be confused by this philosophy that we have a crisis of content, because I think most people think that there's far and away too much content. What do you mean by that? We talked a little bit about this before we started hitting record, but I really want to pick your brain and dive into this. Yeah, sure. So there's two elements. We essentially need to understand, as it's been overstated by many philosophers, that we're in the attention economy. And being in the attention economy, we are now in a situation where we're not really necessarily deciphering between screens. For instance, your iPad, you can check your email on it. You can watch TV and play a video game on it. So we're interconnected in a lot of the ways these social platforms have actually become a part of our everyday use. And and understanding that, we haven't spent enough time in building the value to our audiences, and instead, we've spread ourselves way too thin across too many platforms. I don't necessarily come to just listen to your podcast in one place. You will hope as a creator that you'll put it on 45 different platforms and hope that all of them will reach a little amount of people. My idea for that in the future is really that 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 will never work. You would never back in the day have uh, one TV show and gone to 17 different stations and say, this is perfect for your network. So what I'm thinking is that we have to start finding our audiences from a place that's genuine to what we're creating the content for. And not everything is in one place. For example, why would Coca-Cola only have one YouTube channel? Would they not? Should they not have eight by now? one that has entirely for corporate social responsibility, one that's entirely in gaming, one that's in partnerships, you would think that by now big corporations would start to realize that the platform strategy is way more important than the actual content strategy. But they don't do that. Why why, why yeah, haven't they woken? They don't. We don't. We don't. Like you and I don't. We don't as people. And that's that's where if we don't start thinking like this from our thought leadership level, then no one's going to. That's just that that's that's mind blowing. And you're taking something that I have said repeatedly on this podcast that, by the way, I'm sure I didn't come up with, but and and really blowing it up. So one of the things that I say on this podcast often is you have to market to your ideal client and prospect in the medium they prefer while they're there with organic content. What I'm hearing from you, though, is multi chain like like how do you take that statement that foundational statement the fact that first off that people need to be <laughs> having a strong digital footprint to this next level thinking how how Mohit, do we make that transition okay so let's take uh for example the real estate agent okay you're a real estate agent who has a five kilometer radius of prime business that they do has no real distinct reason to try to expand their digital footprint beyond that audience. It makes no sense for them to be boosting their Facebook and YouTube in a range that covers Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto. But many people who are being sold on social media and digital media packages right now are being sold on this broad reach where this trickle-down effect makes them feel like they're having some success. But when it comes down to KPIs, the KPI is different from a real estate agent than it is from somebody who's doing a print-on-demand business. So what I'm going back to is the fact that you yourself, for instance, with your digital footprint, not you specifically, but you, the real estate agent, with your digital footprint, should be able to completely measure back what you're investing your time and effort into what it leads to your sales. 
if somebody has convinced you, for example, to do a podcast in particular, it's not a matter of whether a thousand people listen to it from around the world. You need 500 people to listen to it in your sales area. Your, your target needs to be doing that podcast for that area, not for everybody. Where I want to get back to is content is a wonderful sales tool, my friend. <laughs> we, you and I both know that. We preach from the telling your story, being authentic. All of those rules still apply. But these tools aren't designed to make every single person successful on the same level. So if you aren't using them the same way that you would pre-design your Tesla or have you a custom fit done, then you're just playing, you're just feeding into a system that's going to be counterintuitive to what you're trying to achieve. And I think going back to what you're trying to achieve on these platforms will make you feel so much more confident about how you use them. We are up against this all the time, and I'm in a bunch of podcast communities. Just guy like keeping my finger on the pulse since you know podcasting is kind of the foundation of what we do here. People say that all the time. I got 15 <laughs> listeners to my podcast. Man, I'd rather have 15 engaged people in my podcast who are my perfect ideal listener, right, than I would 10,000 people from all over the world who aren't really going to take the same level of value or value my content, especially from a marketing and a, well, business building perspective. So let's talk about that. Can I just make one quick, quick yeah, point yeah, about that point? You made, you made a wonderful point, and just I always equate it to this. How long would it have taken you to have 15 phone calls? If you can adjust that into a well-thought-out podcast that one of your potentially engaged listeners could listen to from a place where even 15% of it is retained, you've already achieved more than that phone call would have been. We were joking before we started that there are certain things that you're going to quote me on, and I'm totally taking what you just said there because you know I'm the the main salesperson or the person who introduces people to our product. I just was on a call yesterday with with a person, and they were talking about true ROI and how how do you measure all of that. One of the things that Gary Vanderchuk says is patience is grossly underestimated when it comes to content marketing. What, what do you feel about that? I'll be honest with you, and this is a horrible thing that I say. I haven't read Seth. I haven't read Gary. I don't. I don't watch. I've been. I've been very weird about my approach with this. In that, I I realize that people will say, "Oh, there's shades of this and this, and there's shades of this and that." But I've really taken it from um, originally a creator's perspective. My naivety that had me in this business for the first, I'd say, three years of digital made me believe that I was supposed to go and find the best creators to make online content and that that will go viral and people, it'll be sticky and that's how it happens and you create websites around it. So imagine that it was only after I learned how much advertising plays a part, how to connect properly, how Google's platforms and ad analytics were going to work. It wasn't until I learned all of that that I realized, well, creative is the last thing that people think about. You know what I mean? The reason I'm saying that is because when I would hear originally in the background, the Seths, the Garys, and with all due respect, I didn't identify with them because I didn't know what they were talking about. Ah. I was I was busy in, oh, look, look at this person breaking out on YouTube organically. Let's find out how that's working. Oh, look at this person's created a channel and they're selling their merchandise on it. How did they do that? I didn't even go the, the back route. And it was interesting. So I, when I finally started to think that there was value in this thought leadership stuff that I was doing, I realized, oh, this market, this, you know, these digital conferences that these people go to, this is what they pay for. 
I never understood that until I started to write myself. And mm. so that's the only reason why I, 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 I hate to, like, I don't even know if there's a chapter dedicated to something that I should know about and read about <laughs> that's common. Basically, what I'm saying is, with all due respect, I just haven't spent enough time with anybody else's material to be able to comment directly on whether their philosophy is is right or not. I hope that's not a cop out. And oh I no, I no. Sound- I mean, it is a little bit of a cop out, dude. But that's okay. Because no, but it, it's the truth. Right. I, I wouldn't want to paraphrase. Like, I mean, for all you're telling me, is that is that a book? Like, is that an entire series? Or no, no, no. It it really is literally just one quote, and and I quote it because. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but it is a philosophy. And, that, and you are literally a content philosopher. So I think your opinion here is, is is wonderfully valid because I think people think that they put one podcast out or they write make one video and, and they're going to go viral, right? Or, or they're looking for um, really quick ROI on a content marketing strategy. So in your experience, because you have been creating content for so long, is there a need for patience to make sure that your stuff does get to the right people and does settle in and you start depositing knowledge into the karmic pool that everybody needs to deposit into. Do you think that's applicable or do you think that patience isn't something that we need to focus on that, that if you do the right thing before you know it, things will come? Well, I think that you, I think both philosophies have to be in tandem because if you don't have levers that you can pull, then you're definitely not an expert in any of them. For example, if podcasting comes easy to you and you know you could do three offshoots of a certain brand, if you want to do one for financial planners, one for real estate agents, and you want to do one for tree decorators, I'm just looking at a a tree. That's why I made that comment. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I pull my references. It's it's like the usual suspects. I just sit sit there and I just look at the background and I piece together. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) But in, in actuality, when you start to feel like there's a muscle for you to, to really exercise, regardless of the platform and the value that you can put in, what you really feel like you're getting out of it, you're going to get out of thinking to yourself, well, all of my competition is here. That's why I need to be here. Especially entrepreneurs. I, I really get sad for entrepreneurs that are being sold this dream around content marketing being the only thing they need to do in order to be successful. I think that we have to be very careful, especially now with people closing bricks and mortar shops, that people need to understand that the supply chain in an entrepreneurial relationship is a very key factor that doesn't sustain itself based on content. So if you don't have a proper strategy slash path to understanding that even your, your Google footprint and what you can do within that ecosystem is set, then you're really, it doesn't matter how good your brand was when you were there in that city for 30 years. I think the caution that I would make with anybody about I don't even know if I've answered your question at this point, but one of the cautions I'd really like to make sure that people understand is that don't get sold on the fact that because somebody's able to achieve a dream online or achieve some sort of uh, KPI on online that you should be able to set your bar to that. But if you don't see the value being turned around and what you're trying to achieve, stop doing it. My theory is that content strategists, if they were coaches for major uh, football, baseball, or sports teams would be fired. Like what kind of content strategists exist that can be that unsuccessful at what they're doing, right? And still have a title as being a strategist. No, that doesn't make sense. And we need to redefine what content strategist means because it's like going to somebody and saying, well, he's a barber. Now there's barbers that can do all sorts of hair, right? 
define that then. I love where you just went with that. So what 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 does a content strategist mean to you and how do we need to redefine that? Let's volley it back up to the idea of what's the difference between a curator and a strategist, right? And then what's the difference between a media buyer and a media strategist? And then what's the difference between a platform strategist and a content strategist? So on a platform, for example, I can spend my entire podcast episode with you just to talk to you about how to maneuver around YouTube on the on the back end for you to get the most value for whatever it is you're putting out. That's an entire knowledge center that is deep set in certificates and, and, and APIs and plugs and and like um, and rah-rah fests and subgroups and Reddit groups, right? Is that person the same as the content strategist that's doing it for the flower shop down the street and finding a way for their Instagram channels to get more activity? No. Well, no, right? It doesn't make it like, it's not apples to apples here. Right. I think when we go, when we start to, I think it's going to be less, first of all. I think the word, I think we killed the word strategist because as soon as consultants start to, you know, shed light on just how much money is being wasted by big corporations, we start to dilute things. And I think the word strategist, when it comes to content, is a very tricky one to do. I think people who are purists really consider themselves more as curators and creators still. And I think people, but they strategically, they've built their own channels. They've built their own markets and t-shirt shops. You can't not call them strategists. But anyway, we could probably get into how those roles and ideas are defined at some other point in the future when you, we feel like that shift is actually happening. Yeah. I just see it happening a little bit later once the dust settles on current situations. Well, let's talk about some of the trends because you, you definitely not only have a wonderful LinkedIn profile, so I really recommend that everybody listening, uh, you know, follow Mohit on on LinkedIn specifically, just because that's where most of our people live, Mohit, just you know. We'll make sure that we have a link to that in our show notes, but let's talk about some of the trends. What What are you seeing right now? I mean, you're about as plugged in as plugged in can get. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I will caution you that content that I have created or et cetera, I've really done in this idea that if I don't try, I'll never learn, okay? Everywhere I've gone, I've never gone to become the influencer. I've gone to work with the, the influencer. I've never gone to become the brand. I've gone to, like, I, you know, I worked with Tim Hortons here on social projects. I've worked with Cineplex here on, I've worked with Air Canada on, on media projects. And I love that because they're traditional brands, but I've also worked with some of the biggest YouTubers and comedians in the country on uh, just as them as being clients where I haven't had to show my face in any situation and I help them build strategies outside of what they're good with. And the reason I go back to that is because I see the what you we were talking about with the Garys and the Seths, et cetera, they do a very good job of marketing themselves. But I truly believe that there's way more value in building other people's voices the right way and to learn from the ways that we've seen the mistakes happen rather than to try to be the star yourself, right? I, I find it difficult sometimes. Actually, I'll be honest with you. One of my clients came to me recently and she goes, oh, I found it difficult to find any of your content. And I was like, well, you want my content or you want my client's content? Why would you want why would you want me? Even though there's a I have a long history of being on camera and being in international publications, and I'm really lucky about the media career that I've had. I just found it interesting that in this, in the in the consulting and advising standpoint, this is where it, it came down to a little bit of a disconnect for myself, where you'll find me on all of these platforms, but you'll find me in a strong advisory role on much bigger projects as well. Why am I saying that? I don't know. I'm going to go back to your original question, which was about trends, right? Yeah. So we have to, uh, first of all, acknowledge 
that you're a perfect example of the fact that people really need to discover what their audio brand is going to be like. I think that we are mistaking ourselves if we think to our, ourselves that from a content perspective, blogging is going to be the only way that written material is going to connect with people. I think from podcasting to smart speakers, audio branding for companies is go going to be a big, big part of how they're able to communicate and connect both internally with employees and externally with audiences. The next part of it that I, you want to touch on that a little bit? I, no, I, feel like that's, well, I want you to keep going. This is freaking awesome. <laughs> okay. So the next part that I think is a very important is that people will have to start to increase the value of how they're presenting their webcasts and or product launches online. I think we've, we've gone past the point where people are expecting Zoom conference calls to be the only way that their new products are being rolled out. Within the integration aspects of both YouTube and Instagram shopping, we're going to see a need for you to be able to capture people's imaginations from a professional standpoint with no excuses anymore. So we've gone through a year of transition where we've had to make this rapid increase in, in digital adoption. And I think that what we're going to see now is just brands that are able to be more sticky are going to be the people that have abandoned the fact that they're going to be bringing their shoppers inside of their their places, like their shops right now, and they're really standing out online as well. I think the other aspect that we have to be very cognizant of is that all the video game consoles that have rebooted themselves have completely incorporated learning material within Mm. within the consoles and what they're offering. And we'll start to see more of an emphasis by both Microsoft, PlayStation, and Nintendo and how they're building out the uh, education aspect for how teachers can use these platforms for good and not just gaming. Well, gaming is good, don't get me wrong. But the, remember, they have to build their next generation of developers as well. I think we're going to see a strong push towards that. And then the last thing I'd love to mention, I think is important to mention, is your company needs to be accessible digitally. If you are not uh, looking to accessibility compliance and figuring out how your audience can interact with your website without much difficulty, if they're not as an able-bodied person or live with their own unique abilities, it's very important for companies to understand that legally they will need to be compliant when it comes to accessibility. And those are basically the trends that I'm sort of looking at right now. Uh, there's other things that my clients would have me focusing on, but a lot of it has to do with how fast 5G it rolls out mm -hmm. because we're not physically traveling. I'm trying to stay away from this idea of virtual panels, et cetera, too much, because I really, I'm looking forward to, I want to get out there. I, I feel like I'm finally at a state where I'm confident to get on some stages now and, and start to talk to and preach the good words, as they say. Well, I'm, I miss it too, my friend. And I, I'm really hoping that uh, we can get some stuff under control because uh, you know, I, I absolutely love going to conferences. I love meeting people. I love shaking hands. I'm a hugger. And I've been going through massive hug withdrawals in, in the last uh, nine months. Uh, there's two, two pieces there that I want to unpack just a little bit more. And, and the first one is looking at alternative mediums or or tools that are not actively being used for like like you said you know like PlayStation, Nintendo, Xbox, 
those sorts of things. I think it's fascinating, especially in our industry in financial services, that nobody's really creating anything that allows anybody to truly learn. I mean, there's a couple of apps that are good, but I mean, I can't even imagine if, if somebody listening to this was able to unpack something that was mostly, well, I should say fiercely interactive, like you would you know, be playing cyberpunk 2077 or you know call of duty or any of those games all of a sudden you know it, it's as fun as that but you're learning something at the same time i think when people that gamification could be fantastic do you have you done do you help people with the gamification aspects of their their content or their brands my history with gamification has had more to do with uh, interactivity with okay. Pub, with public screens, it would be uh, apt to like, for instance, in one of my projects, uh, screens were all over the city and they're connected to apps. And so I worked a lot with what that user experience is like, where I, I see the trend going and what you're talking about more so is what we'll see is rights being bought by video game companies of classic children's novels and, and play mm -hmm. and characters that exist already to speed up that process and not have to go through sort of this Disney Disney-fied uh, pipeline of trying to create a character, make it a household name, and then make it a lunchbox. So what we'll, what I think we'll see is we'll start to see stuff that we grew up watching, maybe more of a retro look, updated on some of these game consoles to be a little bit of that learning experience that people could be like, oh, look, it's Transformers teaches you how to read, and it's uh, Dora goes to India. What? Uh, that's crazy. She's barely out of her own country. You know, all that sort of like. But it'll work, right, with the yeah. virtual, and it'll work also with the gamification on AR because we're giving kids phones really yeah. early. Yeah. And I think that one of the things we have to remember is that next iteration of all the smartphones, there's going to be AR capabilities that's going to give people creator access to AR. And when you start looking at what storytelling is going to be affected, how storytelling is going to be affected by augmented reality, Dude, we're going to be talking about podcasts as if it was AM radio. I know. It's going to be I know. it's going it's going to be so crazy how just fantastic what the potential will be. It's just amazing to see how young the industry still is considering how I don't know, I, you know, this pause really got me reflecting on the fact that wow, this all happened now. You know what I mean? Like it's not like um this technology stuff happened in a place where you're looking at the the JFK footage and thinking to yourself, wow, that must have been crappy to be around around that time. Yeah. No, this happened. I always use that reference point because I always remember thinking to myself, why is this the only image I know of 67 like, or yeah, whatever absolutely. it happened? Yeah, it's a Pruder film. Yeah, that you know, terrible eight millimeter. Um, yeah, like that's. Well, I, I love the the AR stuff and, and VR stuff. I was arguing with my kids about this a couple of days ago because we were watching Ready Player One, and I was I was fuming mad. You know, at almost fifty years old now, I thought we would have. Ready Player. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's literally a virtually virtual world where you have like uh, feedback, fiber optic stuff that you wear and you were able to to walk into worlds. And then when Pokemon Go came out, really the first major augmented reality gaming platform, uh, man, I saw people. Un, uh, just hordes of people around pokey stops right i mean it was unbelievable all of Amazing, the great yeah. tools that that are out there that i just i can't wait for the next level and i would and, and i'm hoping that we're involved in the next level 
Now, your book, Rethinking Your Content, you have an action plan. Do you mind walking everybody through some of the steps, if not all of the steps of the action plan before we wrap up today? Because I'd like for them to have like a, an actionable item. I think you've done a great job, Mohit, of setting a foundation of, of the importance of everything that you've been talking about, which is re- truly rethinking your content and the delivery of that content. Now let's talk about some rubber meets the road. What, what should our listeners do? I could very easily preach from the book and give you the the standard. I would prefer uh, people look at something like this as a playbook rather than a a novel. It's something, it, it, for example, if you go through the Kindle system and read it, a lot of the reference points are embedded. And sorry, I just want to take a quick sidebar and mention that. I went the self-publishing route and I started to realize that eBooks now are not even the old like ebooks in the last 18 months the way you can create them as being something that are living breathable things and updatable and stuff it's crazy to me the reference points in the ebook experience of reading my book make way more sense than the print version you know what i mean because it's i'm talking about things that are living breathing things i'm giving real life examples you can't click on that in my hardcover book right you you're not going to put the book down and so i realized when i the experience is entirely different and the reason i'm uh, i'm saying any of that is that if you're on any of the platforms it's actually i think you can find it for free now like people have uh, bootlegged it <laughs> Down, download the e-version just to have the playbook and the action plan. But I will tell you a couple of things I hit on because I know you asked me a question. I don't, I'm not trying to avoid it. But you really need to audit your digital footprint right now. You have to go around and figure out what it is about yourself, about your company, about your brand that exists. Clean up, figure out what, where you're tagged, how the metadata is formed, and how can you can make it something that you own. B, you have to understand how your vertical is being marketed to and how your audience is being marketed to. You don't need to be everywhere. Stop putting yourself in a situation where you let the digital world get the best of you. It doesn't need to. These are all tools that you are in a situation that you can control and be the best with as a result of understanding them. You would never try to drive a uh, standard car without learning how to drive stick. So think of all of these platforms as the same thing. And the last thing I want to mention before, and when it's included within within that, is that at the end of the day, everything is going to evolve. So you need to hire a professional. I don't care if you're looking to paint your house or if it's you're cleaning your eaves troughs. The, your digital footprint is a major part of your business and the way that it is structured. And so your tools and the way that you're using it properly need to be handled with some professional care. Otherwise, you might as well throw what eventually will be more and more of your business out the window. This is very much designed for small to medium-sized businesses, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with your audience about this, but I also have to mention that through Humber College, I had originally designed a program. It didn't get off the ground, so what I've done is I've just released it now in audiobook form. It's on Audible. It's called How to Find Growth Beyond Your Personal Brand, and it's just simply a one-hour listen about what it is that you can do to pick apart your all your your personal brand identity issues and how you can use a little bit of a, a kickstart to just find the right people to connect with with personal branding because i'll tell you i saw this real meltdown over the over this covid situation this real meltdown of influencers that i was in touch with and were former clients and stuff and i felt so bad because so much time was being invested in the stuff that they've done. And I thought, you know, I'm going to put this 
this book out and make sure that it's there as a guide to get people back on their feet to stop and say, you know what, I'm beyond my influence. I can do more with everything that I've done. I've been here doing this. So if anybody is uh, suffering more of a personal branding crisis, they could uh, listen to that on Audible as well. If people do want to connect with you, so we'll make sure that we have a, a link to that too in our in our show notes. I appreciate you letting me uh, take that sidebar. I forgot oh, yeah. to mention. Oh my gosh! I, I mean, you have you have so much stuff out there that that I think is going to be valuable to our people. We want to make sure that they they have an opportunity to take advantage of it. So, if if somebody after listening to you would like to engage with you somehow, be, besides downloading that or besides finding your book, rethinking your content, what what is the best way for them to reach out to you? Thinkstart.ca is my website. You can schedule a, a call with me there. That's a, a great way to do it. If it's for a media appearance, which I do a lot of, so if you're looking for any sort of subject matter expert related stuff, and it has to do with something I'm interested in, you can book me through that as well. Just make sure in the subject line you mention media appearance. I will be doing a weekly column on radio in Canada very soon. And so I will have more information on that. So you can follow me on Instagram as well, at Mohit Rogins. Mohit, thank you so much. This has been freaking awesome. I, I'm so happy that that our COO bought your book so that you could be on our show. And I learned so much. I took so many notes. In fact, I can't wait to go back to our executive team and say, hey, guys, I think we need to rethink a couple of things that we're doing because I love that. I love audits. I love rethinking things because what happens a lot of time, especially in our industry, is people just get really comfortable. It's the way that it is instead of really pushing the envelope and trying to find something that is fundamentally unique and different. Because all of those producers who are on the main stages at all of these conferences have done something fundamentally unique and different. And I believe and we believe here if we can help you figure out what you can do to become fundamentally unique and different, then you will have a chance to rise above the noise and be your own loud. All right. Any closing? Oh, I love that. Too. Go ahead. Uh, you know, actually, you'll probably edit this out, but I'll, I'll mention to you another example of just how uncertain things are with reference to content. I started last year a website called dadspotting.com, and the original idea was to create a a trend spotting, a store, so to speak, of, for dads to shop for stuff without thinking to themselves, they've got to go through uh, Banana Republic or Old Navy. I don't know. It was, you know, it, it's coming together. It's a concept that I'm working on and I'm really looking forward to what we're doing with it. But the reason I'm, I'm mentioning that is because I've had to survey a lot of content because I realized that dad, the data on dads was very thin in terms of consumer power and it was very male focused on male driven brands but not like the fatherhood aspect it's taken me a year of studying all different types of websites what content works and what doesn't but i'll tell you one of the most fascinating things that i've come to is that it's moms that are looking at my content <laughs> that's where i started to say well this makes me part of the problem then because if i'm feeding towards that audience, then I'm not going dad-centric in creating a new audience, right? Mm -hmm. And so the trade-off has been very odd for me where, anyway, we could talk about it some other time. I The reason I, I, I did bring it up was because when I started the Instagram thing, I promised myself I'm not going to boost anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to put things out here and see what people click on or find. And I realized that was the complete wrong approach because as soon as I started to put dad TikToks on my dad spawning instagram like straight from tiktok like every day a new follower oh. and it's been so crazy because 
obviously the TikTok content hasn't gone to Instagram yet. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying repurpose people's stuff, but that's what made me start to realize, oh, I'm not even following my own rules. <laughs> like if I, if I went and I searched what the audience was on a different platform and realized that there was a miss, it was missing from this, then I understand I've got a competitive value. While I sit here and preach, I want to just mention to you that people like yourself and I, we will continue to be uh, thought sharers, not thought leaders, we're thought sharers, right? And if we don't share with each other and I don't learn from you and you don't learn from me, then we don't, we, we need to have multiple stages, right? We need to be on together. Mohit, thank you so much for, for all of your ideas today and the sharing of ideas and, and challenging me on some of the things and allowing me to challenge you. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show, brother. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you have not subscribed, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time we come out with a new podcast, it'll help directly on your listening device. And if you have any guest ideas, just email me, Matt at Top Advisor M, or just connect with me on LinkedIn and share it with me. That would be great. Or any topic ideas or questions you have that you think we should answer on the podcast, I'd love to hear from all of you. So for Mohit and everybody at Think Start and all of us here, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thanks for listening to the Top Advisor Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Proudmouth. If you want to learn more about how to be your own loud podcast, visit our website, read our blog posts, attend educational webinars, and sign up for Influence Accelerator Academy.